Well, amen and amen to that. Thanks, you guys. What a great gift it is to be together. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, I cannot believe uh, what Lisa was saying. It's been six months, six months of this chaos. And, uh, and here we are doing church um, like this. Well, I don't know how you have navigated these six months, but I've definitely had um, some peaks and valleys in my internal life and in my external life. And in the middle of summer, um, I probably hit one of those little valleys and uh, where Kay and I, you know, we, we spent all these months together with no outside data. And uh, let's just say things got a little, uh, a little sassy. You know, we are, our conversations got a little bit um, more challenging, you might say. And, uh, and usually when this happened, I would, I would win. And Katie would realize that she was wrong and she would go and apologize or go off to counseling and figure out how to be a better wife. And, um, but this summer I lost um, and I lost big. And so it was my turn to, uh, to go back to counseling, work out my stuff so that um, I wouldn't uh, just be death and destruction everywhere I went. And I don't know if you've ever done uh, counseling, um, but it is a, it's an incredible thing to kind of begin to think and reflect and to realize all the things that make you, you, all of the experiences and um, inside and outside forces that form who you actually are. And one of the things I realized are that the challenge that Kay and I have is we have two totally um, they're both great values, but we, they're ranked very differently. So Katie's core value is empathy. Oh, that's like the moment. This is the empathetic moment, right? Everyone with empathy is crushing it. So Katie is crushing it. And my core value is resilience. Yes, oh, resilience. And, um, but resilience and empathy is core values, right? Those, those kind of struggle a little bit. And, uh, but through some counseling, um, I did some work to think about what are the things that have caused that to rise in me. And I realized, reflecting on my family story, that I come from a family of survivors. Now, my dad's side of my family... Um, are all Jewish, and we actually grew, uh, they're from the, the, the Ukraine, from Kiev. And in the late 1800s, there was anti-Semitism uh, throughout Russia and Ukraine was just going crazy. And there's these things called the programs, um, where it's basically like state-sponsored terrorism, where these, uh, you know, these groups of people would go into these Jewish villages and terrorize um, the villagers. That they would, and the point was to try to just scare them, to kill them, to get them to just leave. Like, please just get out of our country. And it was very violent and they just destroyed all sorts of property. And in fact, uh, the, the pogroms in the Ukraine, in Kiev and Odessa, in, um, it was like 1904 to 1908. In that couple year time, amount of time, over 2,000 uh, Jewish villagers were, were murdered in that time. And I didn't realize this until recently, but my great-great-grandfather was one of those villagers that was murdered in those pogroms um, during the 19, 1905. And what's interesting is my family, uh, my, my great-grandfather and his family, they picked up shop and they got out of Dodge. They're like, we are out of here. And so they, they traveled, uh, they left uh, Kiev, they got on a boat and ended up in America, ended up in Chicago and started a brand new life. And what's incredible is, and I, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't totally know the story, but I've always been fascinated by my Jewish heritage. Um, have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, right? You know, it's like, oh, tradition. It's like this incredible story. But these pogroms was like this, this, this um, tumultuous uh, thing that's happening in history behind that play. And that's my family story. And when I think about um, the pogroms, I think of uh, the Holocaust. I'm mesmerized by the Jewish people and by my people, right? Who have experienced such terror and such trauma and yet somehow got to the other side of it. Somehow in every culture and society they landed, ended up doing pretty well for themselves um, as this kind of remnant community. And, um, and so it's interesting to think about how our family narrative 
is what shapes how we engage the world. It, it, it shapes how we engage this moment. And so you think about your family narrative. You think about all of the ways in which your family instilled values in you. That's actually how you come to understand all the experiences that you have. And if you, there's, there's the very noble version of your family story. There's the kind of underbelly of your family story. And kind of what's great, great about going to therapy is you begin to realize what's good and what's right and what you can throw away with and what you keep. Well, no matter if you come from an incredible people group, if you don't know your people group and you're kind of a mutt, if you have a great family with this incredible heritage or your family is straight from dysfunction junction, what's incredible is as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you are grafted in to the family of God. You now, no matter your background, no matter your heritage, no matter your race, no matter your people group, you now, when you give your life to Christ, are adopted into the family of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a daughter and son of the King. And you now actually have a new family story, an incredible family story. And, uh, and I love being a part of our denomination. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And did you know that our church was a Swedish immigrant uh, denomination? I'm not Swedish, um, right? But yet these are my people. The values of our denomination are shaping me. And I've like tap myself into the Christian story and the Christian story expressed in our denomination. We're pietists, right? That means that we're people who have this heartfelt devotion for Christ. We're people who want to be good news to the world. So we are committed to mercy and compassion and justice. I love our church. We've committed uh, to partner with people like International Justice Mission. In fact, this last Friday, Pastor Danny and Molly led a, a, Bible, a book discussion uh, about this good news about injustice. This great book by Gary Hogden. And the whole first part of this book are these incredible heroes of faith who recognize the call that Christ has put on them and to recognize they're part of Christ's story. And because they're part of Christ's story, they're going to be about the family business of the kingdom of God. They are going to work tirelessly for justice. It's an incredible book. I highly recommend that you do that. And so if our family narrative shapes how we understand and engage the world, then we need to recognize that we are truly God's people, daughters and sons of the King, called to be co-heirs with Christ. So that's all good news. That's all the big meta narrative. That's all the big picture. But the real question is, how do we do that? So if we're going to really be all that God calls us to be, then in this weird moment, we actually have to refresh. We have to rethink about how we are going to connect with other believers. You see, we have to refresh our narrative of being connected to the body of believers. Just like we have a narrative about our family story, we actually have to have a narrative about how we connect to one another. Because let's be honest, many of us in these six months have been isolated there's a, plenty of us feeling anxious and depressed, uh, depression is running rampant. Um, we feel all alone. And all the normal ways in which we've connected, all the normal ways in which we've built friendships, those things are all kind of gone the wayside. And we need to understand that human connection, interacting with one another is a vital human need. But it's not just a vital human need, it is a spiritual need. And so we need to expand our family narrative so that we can come to realize that we are more connected than we could ever realize. So will you turn with me to Hebrews chapter four, I mean, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're gonna see this incredible narrative that God is inviting us into. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two says this. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And as a covenanter, as a pietist um, person, as someone who deeply loves Jesus, that is the goal. Man, I want to do this. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer of my faith. Right, to run this race with perseverance. But I love, we, we, we want so desperately to run after Jesus but, we, Jesus, but we cannot forget the very first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's this great cloud of witnesses that actually allows us and empowers us to do all the things that God has called us to do. Now, you may not realize this, but in 390 um, AD, Danny, thanks for your help with the date check, um, the, the church um, came up with these different creeds, these different statements that would affirm what we believe, who we are as the church. And the Apostles' Creed, I just want to read this to you. Many of us knew, uh, knew this growing up. It was part of our catechism. It's sometimes the liturgy of the church, but this is the Apostles' Creed. This is what Christians for over 1600 years have said that this is what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ and his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. What's incredible is that even at 390 AD, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. That part, they wanted to make sure that part of their statement of faith is not their own personal understanding of Christ. I believe in Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. But part of this statement of faith was this recognition that we are connected to the church universal, to every single person who has given their faith to Christ from the beginning of time until the end of time. We are uniquely and intimately connected with them. They are part of us. We are part of them. The communion of saints. And so the idea is that we cannot do this faith thing alone. If we're, going to if we're going to run after Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we do as people at Marin Covenant Church, we are committed, sold out to run after Christ, to love him with all of our heart, to be co-laborers with him for the kingdom of God. But part of us has, have, have adopted the Marin County world of we are individuals first. We are individualistic in all things. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we recognize that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And I love this passage in Hebrews because Hebrews right, was written in this time when the church was being persecuted and Christians were struggling in their faith. And the author of Hebrews was trying to say, listen, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And in Hebrews 11, the author goes through all these points to make sure they know, listen, these are the heroes of faith. Look at their example and follow them. And I just want to point out one of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, um, and that's Moses. Now, the, all of 11 is a list of all these different people, but the story of Moses, I think, is just really unique. It says uh, in chapter 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents told him for three months that after he was born, because they saw him, he, he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So it was by faith, Moses' parents um, betrayed the king. The edict was that all children born in that time were to be thrown into the Nile. 
And Moses' parents, Amram and Yocheved, were, uh, were born in the tribe of Levi. And they said, we have this son. There's something unique about him and we are going to hide him. And so they did, the, they did the civil disobedient thing. They hid the son as long as they possibly could. And then when they could no longer hide him, they, they wrapped him um, in some sort of little boat carriage thing. I don't know. I only see that how they did in the movies, but they sent him down the Nile and, um, and the, somehow through God's providence took that baby and ended up uh, starting Moses' story. But I love this picture. Moses' parents, by faith, they are part of this long lineage of faith. They were these people living in oppression and they did this tiny act of trying to be faithful. And then you have Moses who, um, gosh, was this reluctant leader. And I mean, he is this giant hero of faith. But if you know Moses' story, gosh, he really struggled living into that. So this is by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh, um, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses He's incredible. And, I'll, and I think, okay, I'm not Moses. So when I see all these heroes of faith, I can't get my head around Moses. But he is someone who did this incredible work. He trusted God and he led his people out of slavery, marking this giant story, the story that Jesus then comes to ultimately fulfill. So you have Moses' parents, this tiny little couple in the middle of, of this of of Egypt who did this tiny little thing. You have Moses, who's this hero, hero. And then it says, uh, verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. Um, but, when they went to the, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And so by faith, the people followed Egypt. Now I love the people of Israel. I can resonate with them because their whole time, all they do is complain and whine and they throw a temper tantrum. But what's fun is all of their whining, they still put one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other to be faithful, to be God's people. And so we think about we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's our heroes of the past that give us perspective. We've looked back at these guys and they say, how in the world did they live in all these really challenging times? How did they do it when, in the first century? Well, the author of Hebrews said, look at all of these heroes. This is going to give us perspective on how to live now. And now we also think, have to think about how do our heroes now help us point the way? We can't just have heroes written in scripture. We need to have contemporary people who are showing us how to live right here and right now. And so I just want to share with you briefly here. These are th three of my heroes right now. One of my heroes is Andy Stanley. He leads this big church down um, in Atlanta. And I could not even being, imagine being a big church person down in Atlanta. And yet he has decided to be clear. Um, he, he was actually the first giant pastor who said, listen, we are going to keep our church closed until December. And he took all sorts of heat. But he said, listen, this is the kind of church we're called to do. This is the posture we're called to be. And, uh, and made a decision and led really well in a really confusing time. Not only that, He's a pastor of a pretty white evangelical church in Atlanta, and he's made it very clear um, how they're going to engage the, this political moment as well, how to be the people of Christ in this really um, challenging conflict, um, contentious time. And so I love how Andy Stanley leads. And man, I would love to be a leader like that, to sit and to work out my inner garbage. So in this moment, I can lead well. I can lead out of empathy and resilience, right? To be at peace. And I love the way our church working along Jeff and our pastoral team and leadership team, how we've decided to posture ourselves to be good news to our county and how fun our county is beginning to open up, which means the next couple of weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to come and be with us in worship. I love that. 
One of my other leaders is someone I don't know as well, but someone that Ben Z knows. He's a covenant pastor named Troy Nichols, and he's a pastor of Common Grounds Covenant Church in Sacramento. It's a multi-ethnic church in Sacramento. And uh, he's an African-American leader. He's a, young, a younger leader, and he is just incredible. And I've just got every week when I meet with Ben, he's been sharing me all the things that he's learned. And I've gone and I've, I've like, you know, creeped him on social media and watched a couple of his messages. And I'm mesmerized by his leadership, especially in this moment, being a young African, ma- African-American male pastor, he has every right to just drop the hammer on all of us. He has every right to just say, listen, you need to understand me and my story. And yet he has such a strong sense of self, such a strong sense of his calling that he is willing to make space to have empathy for other people, even people who are on the complete opposite end of the political and social structure, right? He wants to have empathy and understand them. We all want empathy for ourselves, but he's actually willing to do the hard work to have empathy for someone who he completely disagrees with in order to build a bridge and to be in conversation. Gosh, if I was that mature, he's one of my heroes. My third hero, you actually know, is Pastor Courtney. Courtney, one of my heroes I know. Pastor Courtney, when we said, hey, we're sheltering in place and we're going to be stuck in, in, our, in our rooms forever and we, all we get is Zoom and walks. And Courtney's like, fine, I'm going to eat this for breakfast. Pastor Courtney, more than anyone I've ever met, is like, I'm going to find a way to be in community. She has not given up meeting with one another. Pastor Jeff's sermon right before we went off uh, into shelter in place, do not give up meeting together. Courtney's like, no, no, I will not give up meeting together. She has found a way to Zoom, to walk, to gather people, to do prayer exercises on Thursday morning. And it's been such a blessing to so many people. One of my heroes, Courtney, nice work. And uh, gosh, and if we're going to reimagine how to be with one another, then we need to have people in our lives who are modeling how to do that because I'm not creative enough to know how to do it. I need to see real life human people do that. And so I have people like Andy Stanley and Troy Nichols and Courtney who are showing me in the real life flesh, this is what it means to be faithful Christians in this moment. And so if we're gonna, if we need uh, those heroes of the past to give us perspective, and if our heroes now help point the way, then here's my final point is that simply this, we now must embrace the hero's journey. We should long to be people who are gonna find ourselves written in the annals of someone else's book about who was a hero that helped them know Christ down the road. A hero, what makes them a hero is after they've gone through the hero's journey is they actually go back to their land of origin and they pass on what they've learned. They don't just crash and burn when something's hard, but they, that, that, that crucible is something that's really hard. They allow God to form them and shape them. And in this time of six months where we have not been able to hang out and be together, it has been so difficult and so hard. And yet, if we persevere, if we recognize that we are about the communion of saints, we're connected to every Christian before us and after us, even on Zoom, we are going to get to be all that God longs for us to be. And so we have to creative, we have to be creative in how we refresh how we're going to be with one another. How are we going to be connected to the universal church? Well, I have four simple things that are, are no-brainers, but we have to actually do them. And that's what's difficult. So the very first thing is this, that we have to be faithful um, to the things that are givens. And what does that mean, that things that are givens? Right, we, we gather together in corporate worship. We cannot give up, even though Zoom is how we do it, or if we have a lottery system, or however we're going to meet together in a few weeks. Right, we have to be faithful to make sure we're connected to the body of Christ here at Marine Covenant Church. The Christian experience is not meant to be done all by ourselves. And even though we can't be together, this is our moment. This is our moment to refresh how we see being connected to the communion of saints. 
So we have to be gathered worship. We have to be working out our own personal life with Christ. So I encourage you to do the daily devotion. We have over almost 150 people who are doing the Bible reading plan um, on our connect on Sunday mornings on our webpage. There's a a bunch of uh, ways for you to keep growing in your faith. So we have to be faithful in the givens. The second is that we have to care for those closest to you. All of us have people in our lives. And even if they're distant on Zoom, we are all emotionally connected to some people. And we need to remember that we have to care for them. I can't just take my relationship with my wife as a given, right? We're married. She loves me. I love her. I'm not going to leave her. Life is great, right? But when things are hard, I can't just take it as a given. I need to care for her, which means I have to get to go back to counseling and work out my garbage and grow in empathy and to try to not just be resilient all the time, but to be soft and gentle and ooey gooey. We care for those who are closest. We cannot take people for granted. The third thing is that we have to expand our circle. So you have those who are closest to you, but this is where I think we've kind of fallen off a little bit. We've kind of all the people who are not in our inner sanctum, we have just kind of let them go. Our relationships, our friendships, our connections. Is, it, I mean, I've done the same thing. It's too hard. to. I'm a man to, be, to make phone calls with other men. That's the worst thing ever. When this thing first happened, I was committed. I was making phone calls to men all the time. And now I'm like, eh, they're probably okay. We, but the truth is we need to recognize Those people are the people that God has called us to be together. Find those people, expand your circle again and build friendship and relationship again. Be part of one of these community groups. Um, There's a group of us guys who are going to try to be old men together. We're going to go grab donuts at six o'clock in the morning, like old men and like, and complain about things, whatever that, whatever it's going to be for you. But we have to do those things. And then finally, we have to serve those in need. Yes, our own inner life is in trouble. Yes, we are all struggling in so many different ways. But service, caring for others who are less fortunate than ourselves, all of a sudden we realize we are so grateful. We've been given so much. And when we actually serve other people, we partner with what God is already at work doing. He's already shaping our narrative and changing the way in which we understand the world. And so when we do those things, our hearts are connected to Him. We're connected to the body of Christ and we're connected to one another. And so in this moment, we have to refresh how we are connected to one another. And the way that we do that is by we expand our narrative. We are connected to the body of Christ, to this communion of saints, right? That the church universal, the the cloud of witnesses, those are our people who are cheering us on. And so as we wrap up our time, um, we are going to actually celebrate the Lord's table together. We're going to celebrate communion together, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do kind of a high liturgy. And some of you who um, grew up with more of a liturgical um, background, this is going to be like, oh, this is going to just be like, um, you know, comfort food for you. Some of you who grew up in more um, relaxed settings, like maybe like Marine Covenant Church, like, oh, what is this? But the liturgy, what it does is why we decided to do it this morning is because we are connected, not just to us, on Zoom, not just to Marin Covenant Church, but we are connected to the church universal, the body of Christ gathered all over the world. All over the world this morning, Christians are gathering together to celebrate the Lord's table. And so we're going to gather them and we're going to use our denomination's liturgy that just to root us even more into a larger grouping of people, a larger um, cloud of witnesses. So I hope you enjoy this liturgical experience. I'm going to give you a few seconds to go and get your communion elements, and then we're going to do communion in just a minute.